This is the Canicurio podcast powered by Cannabis Media. I'm your host, Ed Keating, and today we're joined by Gary Cohen, CEO of Cova Software. Welcome to the show, Gary. Hey, Ed. It's good to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I wanted to dig right in. Uh, we had a great conversation at MJ Business Year, and I thought it'd be great to get you on the podcast so we can dig in a little, a little deeper. You started COVID in 2016, which is forever in cannabis years. How did you wind up there? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of, I think it's an interesting story. You know, I sold the very first cell phone in 1986 in Denver. And then I wrote that industry for 30 years. And um, in 2016, I had had a business partner called IQ Metrics that does POS for the wireless industry um, for years and years. And it turns out they we kind of had a boy crush on each other. So I, I told my <laughs> wife, if I ever need a plan B, there's these guys up in Vancouver, Canada that are great. It turns out they liked me as well. And we, we started talking about new verticals that they could go into. Mm-hmm. And based on the wireless industry, which is about the most complex POS to build and maintain over the years, mm-hmm. they had wound up with about 85% market share Wow! over 20 years. So um, we started looking at the cannabis industry, what, who the existing players were, what they were offering. And realized that the same formula was very successful there, which was how do you simplify complexity? Mm -hmm. You do it through the UI, UX, um, no different than Apple. Make it easy to use, easy to learn. That was their secret sauce. We looked at the cannabis industry and the complexity through regulatory and just the complexity of products. You know, you've got expiration dates and there's some places that will allow you to sell loose flour. So you've got weights and measurements to throw into uh-huh. packaged goods. So anyhow, that's how it started. And I, I left the, the wireless industry to start this and always had an interest in, yeah. in the space. So, so uh, it's an interesting line of thought I want to focus on. Because um, coming from the cell phone industry, that's one industry. Other point of sale vendors that I've seen make incursions into cannabis include pharmacy POS and restaurant POS. Are those good moves for those companies? Uh, I mean, I've just noticed that in some states you see those cropping in where somebody tries to make that can of curious step into the into our industry. Well, you know, if you think about Biotrack, which was really the original cannabis company, they came from pharmaceutical. Ah, okay. So that was their transition. And, you know, from a restaurant side, we see some of that in Canada because Canada doesn't have to have, well, they don't have traceability, you know, so yeah. you can have like 7-Eleven software or restaurant software. But what usually happens is, um, while it's usable, the ability to build all the system reporting and all the nuances of cannabis wind up creating deficiencies. Sure. Like for example, no other industry has the promotions and all the various um, elements of, of that that we have, you know, with, it, it's, it's mind boggling, especially in mature states. 
Well, software isn't built for a myriad of promotions. So to answer your question, yeah, this looks like the, the land of opportunity, but you know, one of the things that happened to IQ metrics over the years was why didn't Oracle or Microsoft or NetSuite just take over POS in the wireless space? And the answer is the addressable market's not big enough. Mm. So when you think about our industry, um, I think right now we're at about 12,000 dispensaries in North America. Well, they could go get 7-Eleven. And there's 12,000 doors with one account, one solution, support via one place. And to do cannabis with every state being different, all the regs are different, the compliance needs, the reporting needs. It's so fragmented. And I always tell people, anytime you hear the word patchwork, that's bad for business. Patchwork and business don't go together. Well, it is, if you're, it is if you're a publisher. Coming from a regulatory publishing software, it's awesome because as soon as you have to get to, let's say, two to four jurisdictions, it's such a headache that people need to rely on outside folks. But you're right. I think when you're, you're dealing with uh, things like point of sale, it does get ridiculously hard. Now, it, this touches on sort of the, the the next theme, which is really how crowded the point of sale space is. During our last survey, we found approximately, you know, just 79 providers in the US and I think 115 between the US and Canada. You know, I'm just kind of curious, you know, how you've managed to be a leader in both Canada and the US. I mean, you've already talked about the differences between the markets. You know, how have you pulled that off? Well, you know, I always tell people, people always ask me my secrets. What's the secret sauce? And it's not so secret. It's not so mysterious. The, when, we, when I started this, A, I was totally transparent. I don't know the cannabis industry. I'm not going to lie. Blow smoke up your dress. And I went to about 30 dispensary owners in Washington, California, and Colorado. And showed them my cards. Like, I, I don't have a product. It's going to be well over a year till we have something we can go to market with. Um, but I did have a story. Like, I had this whole spiel about <laughs> this big company. Um, we're well-funded. The technology's solid, reliable. We've got 20,000 cellular stores using it. And 30 out of 30 said, we don't care. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't understand compliance none of the rest of it matters. And I'm not the smartest guy, but when 30 straight people tell you what's most important, I came back to COVID and I go, we're going to be all about compliance. And what's odd is at that moment in time in 2016, none of my competitors focused on compliance as job one. They all had a different value proposition and we used that. So that was the first cornerstone to be compliance oriented. I think secondarily, it takes a lot to build a competitive product in this space, competitive in terms of feature set, functionality. And when we went, you know, when we finally got an MVP or a minimally viable product to take to market, it didn't have the bells and whistles that everyone else, like the existing people in the space had, the leaders had. 
but what we had was um, people. So we had an infrastructure where we could provide high levels of training, coaching, and support. Mm-hmm. So that handholding day one about not just how do you use the software, but why, like the principles of why. Like, for example, if you've never owned a dispensary or you've never been a retailer, you understand you have to have inventory, but you don't understand the mechanics of how do you buy it? How do you allocate your cash and your, your resources to pay for it? Um, as it's depleted, how do I know when to reorder? How do I know how long it takes to get that reorder? That mm. whole inventory management purchasing thing, just in stocking the store, we do education on. Here's how you do it and why. Then when you think about, a lot of people don't realize a dispensary is a store. And all the principles of a store, like merchandising. Yeah. And what do you do at night? How do you lock it up? Like, you know, you look at a jewelry store, they don't leave the diamonds in the window overnight. Well, get that cannabis out of those cases that could be visible um, from the street. Or... If the regulations are you cannot have visibility into your store, windows have to be opaque or whatever, we do that education, explain why you need to do this. And then as you're building your SOPs to run your store, we help people. So what we lacked in product in the early years, we made up in training, education, and service. Yeah, so sort of the the high touch versus just high tech, which everybody else sort of glommed onto. And then I think third was, like, we're just doing retail software. We're not doing grow management. We're not doing advanced analytics. We're not doing retail or uh, manufacturing software. We're only doing retail. And through everything I just described, it's obvious we're putting resources and commitment to the retailer and the retailer's success. Yeah. Yeah. I think. There's, there's your secret sauce, easy to use, easy to learn, compliance, and then a commitment to the retailer. And yeah. guess what? That, that it works. works. Yeah. Yeah, it works. The, the compliance piece is interesting as, as somebody who's always been in essentially compliance industries for publishing software, et cetera. Uh, we worked with a software for many decades ago. And one of the rules that they had that has stuck with me forever is there's always a need for good software solutions when there's a high penalty for non-compliance. And in the case of somebody in the cannabis business, you know that penalty can be quite high. You could lose your license, you could go out of business or worse things could happen too. So uh, it's really uh, a great focus and, and one that's obviously adding a lot of value to, to customers. Now, Looking at some others in the industry, sort of the broader Canatech industry, you know, last 90, 120 days, there's been a lot going on. Um, yeah. We had Biotrack get sold again. I think that's the third time. Akerna, I sort of looked at it, sort of merged out of existence. And then there was a board coup at Dutchie. Uh, what do you think is going on? Is it just the industry's getting tight and investors are getting uh, anxious or is there something else afoot? Well, I, 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 think, he, I think each of the three I could go deep into each of the three stories. Um, and I do think what you just said is, is true across the industry. Mm. Um, investors are looking for profitability. Like stop, you know, it's not a, it's not a cash burn. 
the future is going to be bright. We need to see you guys start operating like a real business in a real industry. So I, you know, I, I was a dot-com guy. So I saw where you can pump a ton of money into bad business plans or bad operators. And eventually you either pull the plug or you change out the management, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't go forever. Well, I think, I think our industry hit that in 2022 as you know, and anyhow, I'll go back to our, 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 our subjects. I do think there's a similarity across the three companies and it's bad strategic management. So at the strat, at the leadership strategy level, you've got, you know, there's, there's been three owners of Biotrack in the last five years. Yeah. Not one of them ever had a commitment to the product. So when you think about um, all that flipping of the business, you know, the guys from the uh, hedge fund that bought them, their goal, like their goal was to flip it, but the, the valuations that they would have gotten decreased. They just happened to hit it at a bad time. Right. But instead of let's work on the product, they didn't. And then when Forian got them, they had another agenda, which was to harvest the data, plug it back into the medical industry and uh, didn't invest in the product again. And then, you know, if you look at now what's going on, you've got, you know, Transact First is behind all leaves. So it's a payments company. The acquisition is to get payments into the BioTrack doors first secondarily with the um, traceability aspect of their business, the state contracts, that there was, there's been a play for the last 10 years that BioTrack would kind of leverage the state traceability to force people onto their platforms, you know, through a little bit of, of trickery or, or misleading. But at a at a greater frequency, that's now blowing up, and now you're stuck with this lawsuit of Dutchie suing BioTrack in Pennsylvania for this this very reason. Yeah, you're artificially blocking blocking um, people out. So, and then when we get to the Dutchie, or I'm sorry, your Kerner. Yeah. Um, there's just a long history of of not focusing on the product or data in, data integrity system integrity yeah so they've just kind of dwindled away and again that's a strategy you know do you put your emphasis on expansion to other countries like mexico and and consulting and all these other various things versus you're a product technology company did you put your focus on the product invest in the product because that's where the rubber hits the road and that's where most of your revenues come from and that's dried up yeah certainly and then then i think you know in the case of dutchy the the whole coup thing is just a a mess but underneath the the mess is two years ago when they acquired green bits and leaf logics even if you were just doing one acquisition 
and trying to merge two technology companies together, it, it's it's a tall it's a tough thing to do. Absolutely. And some companies pull it off, and there's enough either internal know-how or you pull external capabilities. You know, you pull in McKinsey yeah. or Anderson or somebody to help in the merger. Um, and at the same time, when you're doing that, there's the people aspect, there's the client aspect, and there's the technology aspect. All need to be managed. They don't just snap together. Yeah. But now when you're doing three companies and you've got that dynamic of those three elements, well, it's exponentially. It's like nine factors to think through. And I really think this has been a very difficult two years. You know. Yeah. On top of having a bucket of money. So imagine you have just more money than this industry has ever seen to work with to do the acquisitions and try to do the integration of the companies and figure out your technology strategy. Well, what are your, what are your business practices during this period? And in the case of Dutchie, it was buy share. We're just yeah. going to use money to continually try to grow our footprint by share at all costs, which is free hardware, six months free service, six months free POS, e-commerce, whatever. And uh, again, it's an executional, you know, did they execute on all their goals, which was Canada and payments? They didn't do that very well. In the meantime, you're burning every all this money through the mm. share at any cost. And in the meantime, your internal workings are still not all aligned and figured out. So I, I'll go back to, you know, nowhere in here are bad people. Right. It's bad, you know, what was your strategy? Yeah. And did you execute or was it the wrong strategy for long-term success? When you're, that's what bit everybody just just happened well and I, with dutchy you make a great point that it was two acquisitions and you know for any of us who've been through that and sounds like you have i've been through it it really becomes such a management distraction too because you're trying to focus on all that bringing in new people new organizations new jurisdictions from a compliance standpoint it's it's definitely uh definitely a challenge so uh so i, I appreciate that review uh, of those three you touched on one of the things that i was curious as to dig in a little bit further is what's the value in these states states state seed to sale contracts like you know metric has a bunch of them biotrack occurring had some it's really been a uh uh sort of those three have most of them are, are they worthwhile I, I mean well you know i would say you know if you were biotrack and you basically created an artificial soul source it was a good strat like honestly it might not make you a hero like in the state of Washington, where people, everyone revolted, forced the state to open it up. But, it, I mean, you can pick some tall cotton fast, and that's what they did. <laughs> I think that, like, in the case of Akerna, you know, and this goes back as, like, one of my worst decisions of all time was we didn't know what state to launch first in. And the fact that Washington was dropping 
um, they had dropped, they had fired BioTrack. Right. They went out to bid, metric one. Then the growers revolted and said, we're not going to buy tags. We're not doing it. You need to go back to metric and tell them to, uh, to, to use paper tags. And then metric said, no, we bid this, you know, the cost for the state system was this. We make our money on the tags. You know, it's the, it's the razor, you know, razor we'll blade. sell the razor blades. Yeah. And, um, and this, and metric said, no. So then they went to the next choice, which was leaf. Well, I thought the state was divided between green bits and biotrack for its POS. Usually when a big change like this has happened in other industries, it's like everyone sticks their head out of the hole and says, well, do we have any other choices? If we've got to change, if all this is going to change, let's look at a new POS. And yeah, I it's like re re-research re the, 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 the category again. Yeah. So I thought that was going to be our opportunity. And where I made an enormous mistake was that I thought they would transition. And I think this was October. I think it was either October 1st or November 1st of 2017 that they would transition from BioTrack to LEAF, which was a current. And our engineers saw five weeks ahead of time, it's not going to happen. And sure enough, it didn't happen for five more months. The leaf wasn't ready. So Washington, I don't know if you remember, but they, you know, they fired Biotrack. They went back to Biotrack, said, can you keep it running? Biotrack said, no, you, you fired us. There's no love. We're not throwing you a lifeline and helping. Well, if there was ever a time in our industry that the risk, and by the way, this was when Jeff Sessions was the attorney general who hates oh. cannabis. You know, it, was, it couldn't have been a worse moment to have no traceability in the state. And there was none. Wow. And um, I, I think that is the scariest moment people don't realize where the federal government could have said, See, we told you you can't manage it. That's mm. the end of the whole cannabis experiment. Washington would have blown it for everybody. Wow. And, uh, and then sure enough, it was also a time where Washington had passed the equilibrium of more supply than demand. So margins, prices were coming down, margins were going down. 60 days later, they found Washington cannabis in all 49 other states. So traceability does work. It does keep an eye on the supply chain, but they didn't have one for five months. And Jeez. okay, so I so back to your question about Leaf has never made any money on it. They did. They only had a few contracts. They lost them all. The only one they have left is Utah, with thirteen stores or seventeen <laughs> stores, and Pennsylvania, which they're being. Um, they're being oh it's them it's their lawsuit they're being sued um, by Dutchie for not opening this up so that's that's bad that's bad biotracks tainted which leaves metric metric runs their business i think really well to do this mm. so i think that the safeguards they have to keep the technology 
the, the integrations or the API connections proper um, are done really well. And I think they've got a good business. So yeah. to answer your question, and they're not, they don't sell any other software. That's what they do. Right, right. No, so very good. I well, think for them, it's a good, it's a good move. Now, speaking of other software, there are some providers in the cannabis tech stack that have gone really broad. You know, they they say that they offer ERPs or instead of point of sale, seed to sale. You know, in other industries I've worked in, that's exactly the strategy you want to do. I, I want to own a greater share of your day and therefore get a greater share of your wallet. But is that really working in cannabis? I'm thinking, you know, longer sales cycles, more complexity, you know, a row crop all the way to a store. It seems complex, but I'm curious from where you sit, is there success there or can there be success there? Well, there can be. I think that, I think you got asked the question, what is a real ERP? So, you know, when they first started, when some of my competitors started branding themselves as seed to sale, well, seed to sale was traceability systems. That, and then they're like, no, no, no. Our seed to sale is vertically integrated. So we do grow management, manufacturing, and retail. And that's seed to sale. And, and then it morphed into, well, this is an ERP. Well, a true ERP is a multi-million dollar investment into a very high-level, complex um, internal management system of your inventory, retail practices. It's all encompassing in one package, mm. but it's a millions of dollars proposition, right. not a couple of pieces that really are disjointed, bolted on, know, bolted on. And when I, you know, I've interviewed people from our competitors who sold so-called cannabis ERP. And I go, what's the feature that people buy? Like, what is it that you guys offer? Because let me, let me make a, a footnote to this whole thing. The source of truth is the state traceability system. You can't use your grow management, you know, trans, you can't transfer from your grow to your MIF and then from your MIF to your retail. It all goes through biotracker metric and on down. So that's the layer of technology that it doesn't matter what you want to report down here. If it doesn't match that, right. it's worthless. So I go, why do people do it? The answer is single sign-on. They like just having one, one sign-on. And I'm like, oh, man, this is killing me. Wow. You know, that, but that's, you, you know, single sign-on's usability. But it's not reporting, and it's not that I have visibility across all my supply chain or my vertically integrated business. Because... I have to verify and validate through the state system. So anyhow, let's go back to ERP. What I see is when you get to a certain scale, the investment in true ERP, Oracle, uh, mm. Sage, yeah. Dynamics, these enormous platforms, it, 
there's an ROI. It makes sense. Yeah. But your investment is in the millions of dollars. And then for a company like Kova, we integrate into our biggest customer, our MSO and strategic accounts in Canada. We integrate into their ERP systems. Right. But they're not like cannabis ERP. They are big enterprise-wide sure. systems. And then you, you might ask, well, why do they even bother with Kova? Because there's a retail, like every one of them has a retail component to it. But that retail component doesn't do the, trace, uh, the, the state compliance traceability stuff. So you still need that piece that can talk to metric and manage all of that at the end, you know, who's going to be responsible when they change it because they change the rules state by state or county, but you know, even in the county level, at least every year, if not more frequently. So Sage and Oracle and those guys, they don't have a team that's going to do it. And then you as the user, the client, you're, you're not going to hire some software developer to tweak the Oracle retail component across all your states every time one state changes. You look right. at a company like Kova, you do it. So that's what we wind up doing. So that's how we play together. I I think it's a misnomer for any of the companies in our cannabis space to call themselves an ERP because when you get into that functionality of predictive analytics relative to inventory management, they're not doing that. They're doing accounting. Yeah. Interesting. Now, uh, in in terms of uh, go-to-market, you referenced this before in terms of how traceability is very different across the borders between Canada and the U.S. How is your market go-to-market strategy different in Canada versus the U.S.? Because, you know, you've got federally legal on one side of the border, and then you've got all these small markets here in the U.S. Well, that's a, that's a really good question. You know, we thought that in Canada with federal legalization, it's what it's not a patchwork. And mm. uh, guess what? It they did the same thing. So even though it's federally legal, there's a report that if you're a cannabis operator in a province, you still have a report you have to do monthly to Health Canada. So there is a like an overriding visibility by the government, but then each province is different. So you know, we're right back to, um, to like, there's so much weirdness in Canada. And for everyone who's listening from Canada, sorry to, to say there's so much weirdness, but there is an anti-capitalistic or anti-competitive element in the, in the Canadian cannabis market where mm. your province issues you your license. So they're your inspector. They're the grantor of the access to the market, but they're still in the cannabis business. So what they've done is the provinces are your distributor. So you can't buy directly from, like in the U.S., you can't just go to the grower and buy from the grower. 
you have to buy from the provincial distribution hmm. or wholesaler, which means everyone gets the access, access to the same products at the same cost. It's ubiquitous at every province. And at the same time too. So hmm. at the same time. So at the start, when there was very little supply and huge demand, you know, you got an allocation, but your competitors all got an allocation as well. The other thing is the provinces still deliver via post, via mail. Yeah. So you can order by mail. Then we've got provinces where they have provincial cannabis stores, just like state liquor stores in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, they have yeah. provincial. So you're actually competing with the people who are regulating you and your wholesaler who's selling to you, and you compete with them. That's messed up. Yeah. Okay, and, and then you've got the tax issues. So the go-to-market in Canada turned out to not be a ubiquitous rollout at all. The province we thought would be the fastest, mm. which would be BC, the biggest cannabis industry, you know, in, in, the, in Canada. And in truth, the West Coast of the U.S. was Washington, Oregon, California, the biggest gray market, black market. Same in Canada, it was BC. But we thought they would all be the most well-managed, the, the fastest mm. into the most progressive. Um, turns out to be the last so bc is the laggard in all of canada you know alberta was the fastest ontario had all these starts and stops and anyhow so go to market in canada was not a straight line it was not ubiquitous it was you know at the at the leisure of how each of the provinces rolled out their cannabis programs yeah when we look at the U.S., you know, every, every state is different. You know, I look at New Jersey versus New York right now. Uh, New Jersey's got their arms around social equity and diversity and how they're doing it really, really well. But the biggest blocker is the municipalities. Yeah. Turns out they've got a little codicil in the regs that you need municipal approval to get your license. That sounds a lot like the Sopranos to me. Sounds a lot like, like Massachusetts too. I mean, that, that's what they ran into with those, uh, with all those town hosting agreements you had to pay for. It's horrible. Pay for, you know, and how did some MSOs just get it like that? And mom and pop, it's, it's arduous. Well, we deal with that. That's a consideration of how are we going to go to market? What's the rollout? How many licenses? You know, what's our market opportunity? Um, you know, and in, in, in our industry, that spectrum is massive from Oklahoma to like a Missouri where originally 192 licenses. Right. That's it. They're tied to congressional districts. That's not changing. And we've allocated a number of dispensaries per congressional district. So we've got to think through, like, what's our strategy when you've got only 192 targets for the next few years. That's it. Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's legally set. It's not, it's not, there's no variability. It's like, it's like Arizona where it's based on the number of pharmacies. I know I mean, 10, 10 to one. Like who thought of that? Well, guess what? The pharmaceutical lobbyists thought of it and they put it in the law 
And they said, look, we don't want all these dispensaries messing with our world. Okay, 10 to 1. Yeah, and yeah, we can so gang up on them 10 to 1. Yeah. yeah. So, so Gary, um, in terms of go-to-market, how does Cannabis Media help your team get to the market? Well, that's, that's a pretty good question. You know, we, we utilize your service to help us understand a couple of things. There's the volume of licenses and there's the velocity of the, so velocity is a big deal. Um, I, I've seen states that swore they're going to do a great, like Missouri is, is the best one. I never saw a state put more thought into how we're going to do this equitably um, with expediency, mm. with transparency. And guess what happened? They blew it. <laughs> Every state has blown it. Some have the best of intentions. Some have no intentionality of doing things quickly or fast. Hurt. But we don't have a we don't have a way of knowing how they're doing without your service. And that service, so when I'm when I'm understanding your reads, the information you're picking up that we can see, well then that helps me allocate resources. Yeah. I can now start toggling my marketing spend, um, the quantity and the intensity that will put sales into a market. So that's that's one of the ways that it helps me. I think another way that we just experienced in the last year and a half is the health of markets. So when I start seeing stores close, I can get a read on which licenses are are terminated. Um, I can see how many I, you know, I can put that in context of the total number. Sure. And then how fast does that happen? Well, I might not get a good, I might not have good market share in a certain state, but now that I see your stuff and think about it, does it present an opportunity or do I want to hold back? Like, look, let's not, right now might not be the best time to double down on California. Let's take a step back and see how this is going to play out over the next six months. So that's another. And then I think a third is our industry does not have like a, uh, I got, I can't even remember the names of them in other industries, but, but mature industries have services that are measuring market share yeah. for competitors. You know, like, a, is, like a Nielsen or an IRI reg scan and right. Right. So I came from Nielsen. I used to do this. That's right. Yeah. And, um, we don't have that. So I can, through your information, I can get relative share, like you guys report, of my competitors. But there's another thing I get is I can find out who the players are. Mm. So I can look at who the licenses, and this is at the retail level, who's getting the licenses. I can look at the names behind that and, and I can triangulate on man, ABC Cannabis is up to their 12th store. They were never even on our radar. Yeah. Like, I didn't know, I, I don't know them, or maybe we talked to them when they had two stores, they now have 12. 
why aren't we trying to work with them? And I can see that from your data. There's no other resource other than, other than Google Maps where you just keep zooming in. You go, do I see any names that are the same? Right, right. Well, wow, there's four of these ABC dispensaries in Phoenix. Let's go to Tucson. Oh, there's two in Tucson. There's one in flight. They have seven stores. Well, that's a horrible way to try to figure out who's who and what's what by yeah. Google Maps. No, it's, it's true. I, it's can true. Use, I can use cannabis for that. That's great. That's great. Well, one of the things that we've started doing recently is building out indices. So we have one that's single state operators. So we, we, we've we tracked all the companies we can find that have at least five licenses in a state. So it's just a way to sort of narrow that down if you're you know trying to triangulate to, 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 to that group. So um, one of the other strategy questions I want to ask is um, with 79 uh, providers or brands in the industry, it's such a tough climate right now. Do you see more M&A likely where some of these point of sale firms are going to get bought by others? Or do you think they're just going to fall off and wither and die and their customers will just get picked up by the stronger players? Well, I think, you know, I always tell people there's maybe four or five of us at the, the top end of the, right. the industry. And then there's a really, really long tail. Yes. And I think it's worth mentioning why. I, so I'll say, I think those at the end of the long tail, like the last 50 or 60 are going to, over the next 12 months are going to die. Mm. And the reason I think they'll die is, is SaaS. Just the, the SaaS model. It takes so much capital to build your solution. Yeah. And then you're only charging this much per month. So it takes volume, it takes a huge number of subscribers to cover your, your, burn, your investment and then your burn. Because as you grow, your costs aren't flat. It takes more and more yeah, support right. to keep it going, both technically and from a just you know, customer support perspective. So your burn increases as your, your customer base goes up. But it takes a long, long time to get to break even. Now, what's just happened in the last year and a half? Well, we've had almost every one of our customers call us and go, we're having some sort of trouble. Can you work with us on our subscription fee? Well, if you lower their rates or when you lower their rates, you're just making your burn situation worse. You're taking money off the table. You're becoming the bank. You're exactly. Well, for small companies, then there's a third factor, which is um, technology demands. So more functionality, more capabilities in the software. The expectation is you can't, you can't um, leave your product at a status quo year over year. Right. You know, we found that, um, you know, co I'll give you an example. Like we built this metric reconciliation report. So basically anything, anytime anything is flagged at metric, it shows up on a report in your interface 
And instead of getting a violation, it gives you a chance to go in, mm-hmm. find the incident, correct it, make the adjustment, turn it back into metric. Okay, well, that's an R&D project. That's something that we did that, that greatly reduces risk and improves management time, Yeah, you know, error tracking. Okay, well, if you're a little company and you're competing against that, um, do you have the resources to go build that? And, and our competitors are building other things that are cool we don't have. So we've got to get it on the roadmap, evaluate God, how vital is this. Again, that takes money. So here we are at a time where we've had more dispensary. And that's the last, I guess I have a fourth bullet is we had more dispensaries go broke last year yeah. than in the previous six years combined, wow. including COVID. You know, last year was brutal. And uh, in most states, they passed that equilibrium point of more supply than demand. Prices started going down. Bad operators competed with price versus the value proposition of why should you come to my store? And then as their margins got tinier and tinier, if you competed with, you know, you die by, you live by price, die by price. Yeah, indeed. A lot of them died by price. And um, so what if I'm a little POS company? Well, if you lost 10 or 20% of your subscribers because they went out of business, you don't have enough buffer to keep paying your bills. So, that's a roundabout way of saying this is a very hard thing to do is to run a SaaS company and get it to profitability, especially in a down, like in a kind of a down economy for the sector you're in. I, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. That's <laughs> very true. Now, in terms of 2023, any, any things that you guys have on the roadmap that you can talk about or you know, new enhancements yeah. that might be coming down? Well. You know, you brought up a point about the wallet. And I think that, and I've always thought, eventually you've got to provide a bundle of services. Hmm. So Kova originally built itself on this open API architecture. We originally thought we were going to be the connector for the industry, which is why we did that. And we'll make it super easy for everyone to tie in, provide all this, this, this ecosystem of services and the funniest story is nobody wanted to connect with us. <laughs> like, you know, this was one of our big attributes and big investments. And the thing was, we had no customers. All the other partners or people in the ecosystem had customers. And it's like, well, you've got nothing for us. Well, it was a chicken and egg thing. Like, yeah. well, come on. Well, if we work together, we'll all grow. But eventually the strategy paid off. And People found that Kova built this to be really easy to, to connect into and to partner into. And, uh, you know, and then over time you find, look, there's some certain core things that all dispensaries use, e-commerce and payments. Yeah. And we were very, very slow with both of those payments because of the conservative nature of our parent company and e-commerce because um, 
we just had so much to build and work on within the POS that building out e-commerce that was competitive was just a huge lift and we didn't have the resources to do it. So late last year, we acquired an e-commerce company that was already integrated with Kova and then rolled that out at MJ BizCon. And since then, it's, it's, it's great. So to answer your question, payments and e-commerce are the biggest things we've rolled out lately. And, um, and then we're going to be increasing our partnership with SpringBig to provide more functionality for CRM and loyalty. So I think when you take that whole bundle, mm. and then by the way, we still offer optionality. So we're not a closed system. If you don't want our e-commerce, you don't want our payments, all those integrations are still there. We don't put any friction. in. Any no no forced bundling. Nope. Yeah. No forced bundling. So anyhow, this is very exciting for us because it, it does make Kova a more complete solution. Excellent. Excellent. Well, one last question. Looking forward through the rest of 2023, when do you see the industry writing itself? Is it going to be mid-year, Q4, next year? Any guesses? I, I, I think all those things we talked about, like management coups or investor coups <laughs> and, and acquisitions and I... I really, I really think the money, you know, follow the money. All the money people who put the money into our industry, I think really have tightened the screws in the last six, eight months to where, you know, this isn't a wild west kind of industry. Right. In the tech space, you're, you need to be adults and, and, and they're older, they'll put in adult management. And I, and I, I think the fruits of those changes will pay off in the fourth quarter. So I think that's the time frame for everyone to get their shit together and you'll see it come together. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us on the Can of Curio podcast today, Gary. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I'll look forward to seeing you in uh, Boston this week at NECAN. I look forward to it. Take Excellent. care. All right. I'm your host, Ed Keating. Stay tuned for more updates from the Data Vault.